Welcome back to Capitalize Your Fridays. I'm Mike Williams, the founder of Altius Financial. And I'm Taylor Dennis, Senior Wealth Design Specialist and VP of Altius Financial. Today we're going to pair some of my personal experiences with Mike's wealth of knowledge and debate, is it ever cheaper buying products directly from the source rather than kind of following them down the supply chain and working with middlemen? That sounds great. So uh, this isn't really going to be a debate though, right? I don't know that we're going to disagree that much. How about uh, that I start start us off with our uh, disclaimer first? Perfect. This podcast is for general informational purposes only and does not constitute the practice of investment advice or financial planning. No client advisor relationship is formed by our broadcasting this information or your listening to it. The use of this information or any materials linked to in this podcast is at the user's own risk. The content of this podcast is not meant as a substitute for professional financial advice. If you're needing specific advice for your situation, please reach out to your certified financial planner, or if you're interested in learning more about our firm, our people, or our philosophy, please reach out to us at our website, altiusfinancial.com, or you can reach us directly by email at michael at altiusfinancial.com or taylor at altiusfinancial.com. So before we get started with our buying direct podcast episode for today, I just want to make sure we shared a little bit about the student debt cancellation um, that's going on right now. It was just released earlier this week. And so we're just adding in a little addition to this podcast episode and wanted to hit some of those key points for our listeners. Yeah, I think that's a really good uh, idea, just timely wi- timeliness-wise. Um, you know, I could go on a long rant about how stupid this is uh, to, to pay off student debt, but we do have uh, clients who have student debt themselves or have children or grandchildren who have, who have student debt, and it's important for them to know some of the particulars about it. Uh, so why don't we... Why don't we jump off with uh, when do when do these loans first of all restart, Taylor? Yeah, so they were supposed to start in the next week, and now they're not starting until this January. Um, and then it's helpful to note that for those of you who were maybe previously paying on your loans, um, they are adjusting the income cap amount. So these are income based repayment um, repayment plan loans. Um, the income was previously based on ten percent, and it's now going to be five percent. So you might find that your monthly payment is actually dropped as well, assuming a similar current income. And so some some people may hear that term loan forgiveness. Um, what all does that mean? Well, so loan forgiveness means the government is paying off your loan for you. And so there's actually now, instead of having the 20 years of payments in order for loans to be forgiven, they're actually being reduced down to 10 years, assuming your loan is 12000 or less. And that's the public student loan forgiveness, the PSLF programs. So what if I borrowed from a, a private banker? Uh, are they forgiving those as well? So unfortunately, those do not apply. It's only for the government-based loans. Um, it's also limited to people with a certain income range. So if you have, if you are a single individual making $125,000 or less, or a married filing jointly individual, or couple making two hundred fifty thousand or less, then you you apply for this ten thousand um, dollars for the ten thousand dollar forgiveness. If you make more than that, you do not get that amount. So there's no graduated thing. It's just a cutoff. If you make one hundred twenty five thousand, you don't get any loan forgiveness. Is that right? That is correct. Does that mean there will be a lot of people trying to game that system, or employers who will come cooperate and say, well? For this year and this year alone, your salary is one hundred twenty-four thousand, so you can qualify for loan forgiveness. I mean, it's one of those things Maybe. that's going to create lots of ripples, right? Um, yeah. And you mentioned I, we we didn't really make that clear. I don't think uh, 
it's not like they're going to forgive your entire loan. If you have a hundred, hundreds of thousands of dollars of student loan, they're not going to forgive that. Right. So the, the loan forgiveness, the entire forgiveness based on the 10 year payments, 10 years of payments is different than what's going on this year. So there's the PSLF, the forgiveness, which is going to be instead of paying for 20 years, you can now pay for 10 years in this year specifically there's an additional 10000 that's being paid off for everyone, assuming you're within the income limits. Um, that 10000 is actually 20000 if you're a Pell Grant person. So if you had a Pell Grant um, with college because of your income level levels, um, you're actually going to get 20000 forgiven instead of just the 10000 But that's just so what's the rationale for year. that? Why are they giving a special deal to Pell Grant recipients why are you getting double the benefit there? So the reason that they're doing the Pell Grants is because they haven't inflated over the years the same that other um, grant and benefits have. So you're maybe getting the same, I think it was what, 5000 a year benefit or 10000 a year for the Pell Grant. Um, and that hasn't changed over decades. So is this all fairly automated or do I, if I have student debt, do I have to, to apply for this forgiveness or do something different myself? You'll likely need to fill out a form, but I had someone that texted me this morning saying they saw they already got it forgiven. So I I would say check check your student loan and see if it's already missing. If you're missing ten to twenty thousand, <laughs> missing. Otherwise, um, I've been informed that there should be a sheet that you need to fill out that's going to say, "Here's what my income is. I am qualified for this. Please give me this deduction." So, do you think there's a moral hazard here where people will? Say, well, okay, I got free money. Uh, maybe, uh, maybe I'll go back to school even more. I think there is the risk that people will see this and say, well, if the government's going to make it easier for me to take on loans and they're going to limit the extent that those loans will grow, then we might see that kind of impact. We might see more people going to school and maybe taking on higher education degrees because of this forgiveness. Yeah, I think it's definitely a problem. I mean, you, you create a problem by making it easy for people, easier for people to go to college, and then you make it even easier by saying we're gonna we're gonna forgive the loans that you took out in the first place. To me, it's it's a disastrous policy, creating incentives for bad behavior, and those people who actually worked hard and you know decided to pay for college, save for college. Their their parents worked hard, extra jobs. It's really a slap in their face. That's that's my personal view, and I know that's a little bit of a rabbit trail, but um, it's it's definitely wrong. And, and and the other thing I want to point out is that earlier this month, the president signed something he called the Inflation Reduction Act, which you know that itself is no way in no way in heck is it going to reduce inflation, and neither will this. I mean, this will put upper prices on certainly on on higher education because you're you're creating more money flowing that direction um, without the same kind of value product, production. Um, yeah. It's a disastrous policy. Well, so I would say there's one thing that I, I do somewhat, and I say somewhat because <laughs> it's, it's a little bit, um, agree with on this whole process. Um, the part that bothers me with these lo loans is because they're income-based. And so we found a lot of people who are paying back these loans and have maybe been paying into them for I don't know. I hear stories of I paid my original $100,000 loan for the last 10 years and I've been paying it off systematically, routinely, on time, never late. 
And now my loan is $150,000. And that's because they keep growing based on the interest. So this is also limiting the growth of the loan, of the original loan balance. So you won't but have that was that, always, issue that was disclosed up front, right? I mean, the person who took the loan in the first place knew that they were going to have certain interest rates. That this was going to be expensive, and they should have done you know some due diligence on the degree that they were getting and whether they would be able to have a high enough income to pay it back. And where's the culpability for the universities themselves? I mean, no, the I universities agree. are making all these promises about degrees, but they're turning out graduates who can't earn enough to even pay back their loan. Yeah. No, I agree <laughs> with that. I'm just saying I I think it's maybe good that they're not going to have people paying into loans for years only to find out that the current principal on the loan is higher than the original principal on the loan, even though they've been paying it down for years, thinking that they were doing a good job. Yeah. My thought on loans is there shouldn't be a loan out there, period, that is income-based and that has that kind of flexibility. Anyways, I think you should say I can take out a loan on X dollars with X interest and I will pay X amount and it will amortize over X term. Yeah. Um, and the bottom line where is it it's makes wrong. logical sense for society. <laughs> well, it doesn't make sense for society for taxpayers to have to pay for that. I mean, this, this is just creating more of the same problem. No, I'm saying you, loans that make sense. Like you shouldn't have a loan that grows that way. Like the loans themselves yeah. should make sense. Yeah. So another obvious uh, problem with this, this happened under the, when we had the Obamacare, you know, the, they made an announcement and then they weren't really prepared for all the traffic online. So now we're seeing student loan debt service websites just crash because everyone's heard this Biden announcement and, the, you know, they're going online to check it out and they weren't ready for the, for the actual uh, internet traffic. Yep. And centers matter. Yep. So I hope that's a helpful update for everybody. Okay, now let's get back to our episode on buying direct. So Taylor, I'm curious, what drew you to want to talk about this as a podcast episode in the first place? What were you thinking? It's mostly just my personal experience. Um, I recently visited Napa for the first time and I found these assumptions in my mind where I thought I knew maybe how the cost of goods works and... I, I feel like I've routinely been proven otherwise. <laughs> so when you say, uh, I mean, uh, there was the Napa experience, but you're always looking for a deal, right? I mean, that's yeah, part of it. And so I live my life like that. <laughs> <laughs> so hopefully this might be helpful for, for our clients or, or anyone who's listening in terms of just thinking about you know, value decisions and how they go about trying to, trying to get a good deal. Um, both you and I have multiple experiences of trying to buy something less expensive, you know, buy it cheaper than uh, than paying retail price or trying to get it uh, at wholesale or, like you said, cutting out the middlemen. Yeah. Um, yeah, so for the Napa example, um, this is my first time ever going to Napa. So I, I had no real inclination of what I was getting into, but I kind of had some mental theories of, hey, maybe maybe I can go and get a bottle of wine for cheaper. Um, I thought, okay, well, maybe if a, a budget-friendly wine, and granted, I live in California now, so I think I could get a cheap bottle of wine for like $5 in some cases. You can? <laughs> I've, I've had a $5 wine. So that, that means that uh, the the horror stories we're hearing about your experience in being in California and all your prices going <laughs> up and the cost of living going up is maybe not so bad, especially my, in the wine. My grocery, well, it's not a good bottle of wine. <laughs> I'm not going to say well, it's so like, say that same $5 <laughs> bottle of wine yeah, in so California. Maybe, what would that be in Colorado? 
8 to 12. So it would be more expensive. Yeah. So just being closer to the source in that sense. Yeah. In like California. I, I think we talked about like the Robert Mondavi. I think I've seen Robert Mondavi for like No, there's a five, quality, quality bottle of wine right there. What? <laughs> Robert Mondavi. Yeah. I think is it, it was. Is that, a, is that a high quality bottle of wine? Mondavi it's, has such a wide range of wines, right? I believe it's the largest mass produced. It's like the largest producer of wine in the Napa region. I think they bought out the most land. Huh. If if my studies were right, I didn't do much studying before going, but um, I watched a few different movies, and I believe they had bought a ton of land, and so I think they probably have like their great classy wine and their dinner wine, and then their college student bottom of the barrel, whatever we got left with box of wine. <laughs> box Although wine. the wine, the boxes of wines are getting better, right? I've had. I what like movies had did good. you watch in preparation of going to Napa? Did you watch like? I rewatched the Psalm. We started sideways, and my husband got bored, so we turned it off. That's that's an interesting movie. I wouldn't necessarily recommend it. I mean, sometimes we recommend movies and books and podcasts, but I wouldn't say. I mean, Sideways is entertaining, but it's it's depressing too. It's not not a great movie. It wasn't a feel good movie. Whereas I think um, the Psalm episodes were good. Uh, What else was it? The Judgment of the nineteen seventy six Paris thing we watched the movie on that and that was kind of interesting seeing um back then they thought of napa people as like these hippies and um i don't know it was all these guys with long hair and just kind of hanging on the back of a truck being casual and then not this really french guy there, comes right? I mean, in it's like they were they were, really shouldn't be there in paris talking about quality wine exactly yeah and then all the parisians are suited up and wine is this fancy experience thing and but the california wine actually stood up in that real competition in reality. So you it were won. thinking you could get a better deal by going straight to the source in Napa Valley uh, and you found that you didn't? I mean, um, So I think in my mind I was thinking, okay, well, if if you go to the store and you go, okay, look on the rack, maybe a $20 bottle of wine, it's almost never going to be a bad experience to me. No, I, I guess it depends on taste for everyone else and some of you might be going, gosh, that's not expensive enough or gosh, that's breaking the bank. I feel that, okay, like uh, between maybe 15 and $30, it's kind of a sweet spot for me where it's like, okay, I don't feel like I'm going to go into debt over this, but <laughs> it might be good. It might be a good time. It also depends on whether it's red or white, right? I mean, well, yeah, it, can red. you get a better white wine for a lower for, price? Yeah, than, I agree. I mean, I guess in terms of aging, right? Yeah. yeah so I guess I'm, I'm saying it for a red. Yeah. And so in my mind, I thought, well, Maybe I can get that for maybe I can get that thirty dollar bottle, but for fifteen dollars. Maybe maybe I'll get some kind of buy three get one free or some kind of deal of some sort. Um, and I I do feel that they had these. Oh, we're gonna give you twenty percent off, or we're gonna give you some kind of discount when you buy in bulk. But I I did not feel that there were ten dollar bottles of wine readily available or twenty dollar bottles of wine readily available. For purchase, and it, it, I don't know if it was where we toured because I, me, who's the Type A planner type personality, decided to take a step back and enjoy the ride. And you weren't in charge this time. I was not in charge of any decision. <laughs> and maybe you should have been a little bit. Or um, I don't think I was the person with experience, so yeah. I I thought it would be best to leave it to the people who had maybe visited before. Yeah, that makes a difference. I mean, I I've been to Napa a number of times, and I think I'd probably be better at planning it than lots of people who haven't been there. Although I'm not, 
I'm not like quite as uh, how we put it uh, control oriented. Well, that's not the right <laughs> way. But 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 I'm more I'm more kind of a go with the flow thing on a vacation like that. Um, but that experience makes a difference. Yeah. So what, what was your experience? I mean, what what happened? I mean, did you did you have a good experience first of all? Yeah, I I think it was it was amazing. It was beautiful. It was a lot of fun. Um, definitely a great experience. A very good learning experience as well. I think from the financial standpoint and the winemaking, the impact of different soil types on the type of grape and that kind of stuff. I think it was a wonderful learning experience, but I don't find the screaming deals that you're looking for. (laughs) Yeah. I think if, if you're listening to this and saying, should I go to Napa because I can buy a case of wine for cheaper than buying it at the grocery store or buying it at my favorite liquor store? No, no, you're not going to likely, you might save some, but I, I don't think you would still have to pay for the flights, the rental car, yeah. the tours. Well, and so <laughs> do you feel like that was, I mean, we're talking about like uh, trying to buy direct. Yeah. And you went to the source geographically, but yeah. were you buying direct? I mean, do you know what I mean? Because Napa now has turned into more of a tourist experience, right? You know, yeah. fine dining and fine wine and nice hotels and resorts and stuff like that. And, and, um, but were you actually was the mission to have that kind of experience as a tourist or to go get a deal? <laughs> well, so I think the before agreeing to do this trip, my husband and I said, okay, this is this is our one big trip of the year. We kind of do that. We we ideally will say, okay, we have one fun trip for the year that's something that we can enjoy as a couple, whether it's just the two of us with family, with friends, um, something that'll be special for us. And so we look. We went into this saying, okay, this is our fun trip. It's likely not going to be super cheap, but it should be a fun experience. But I kind of went into it with the back of my mind with the thought of, but I enjoy wine. It'd be nice if I came home with some bottles. Um, and if I made it kind of like a, oh, this is a fun experience, but it's also on sale. So let me ask you this. <laughs> uh, I, As I mentioned, I've been to Napa, Napa a number of times. And- yeah. The last several times I went there, I found myself tasting really good wine and then somehow it not being <laughs> a economic experience because I became maybe more uh, of a wine connoisseur or thinking I was and, and sort of being flattered that I was. And then all of a sudden I'm a member of the club. I'm in the member of this exclusive, exclusive <laughs> club and I get, you know, six bottles per wine delivered to my doorstep every three months or something. I, you know, yeah. I, did you join some clubs? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Not a ton. We we were being very financial plannery about it. We walked in and we before we even went on the trip, we said, "Here's our max that we're going to spend on the whole week." And then we just kind of kept that in the back of our mind. And then as we went to these different tours, we'd say, "Okay, well, we can we definitely can join one. We can maybe join two depending on what the cost comes out to." And so, we literally we we joined the one that we knew we wanted to. And we got to the second one, and it was amazing because my husband, who's usually like a enjoy the moment if we're here we're gonna enjoy it let's not think about it he was sitting there and he's scratching down okay here's what it costs this month here's what it's gonna cost for the next four okay let's see what it's gonna cost for the year let's so you've add had in an the impact shipping. on he's, he's thinking more economically about the wine clubs <laughs> yeah i was having a little proud moment <laughs> for that's myself good. well that all sounds but, good i mean that's yeah. not such a bad thing so do you think that your perception of getting a good deal versus not getting a good deal changed your whole experience there? No, not necessarily. I, I think it, it just opened my eyes to saying buying directly from the source wasn't necessarily going to be the most cost effective. Um, and I can even say that was the most clear to everyone 
when we went to this dinner, we split this bottle of wine where it was $60 for the bottle. So we thought, okay, this is an expensive bottle, but we're splitting it between six of us. So we can afford $10 a person. And everyone loved this wine. We all turned around and said, wow, this is amazing. We should find this winery. Now we go to the winery, try the same exact wine, and the bottle of wine at the winery costs $60, which typically I've been told that the cost of a bottle of wine should be um, four times, like the cost at a restaurant should be about four times what it costs to buy at retail. What do you mean it should be? Or you mean That's just like it's how they, pri- they typically how it price up, it. Yeah. And we thought, well, maybe they didn't price it that way because they're Napa and they know you can buy it direct. So we thought, okay, that, that makes sense. Now flip to the evening and we go to a grocery store and we say, well, we'll just pick up some wine for the evening. We find the same bottle for $30 at the grocery store. So of course we're all going two for you, two for you, <laughs> two for you and saying, okay, well, this will be our evening wine. We all loved it. Um, but it was interesting to say, okay, maybe the way the supply chain works for this type of purchase isn't quite what we all maybe thought, or maybe there's something off. Yeah. And it's also the question of quality and value. And I mean, wine is such a, an interesting thing. I've, you know, there are obviously experts in the world. Uh, it's funny. I was just talking to my, my brother and sister-in-law the other day recently, because they had a wine tasting at their house. Uh, they were just telling us that, you know, literally blindfolded taste test. They had, yeah. uh, I think four or five other couples each bring two bottles of wine, one that was supposed to be the cheap bottle and one that was supposed to be an expensive bottle. You know, they had price targets. I don't remember exactly what the price targets were, but consciously each couple brought two bottles and one was very, you know, budget oriented and one was, you know, really kind of high end. And after the whole night was over, guess what won the best tasting wine? Was it the budget one? It was the budget one. It was like a Kirkland <laughs> wine from Costco or, or oh, Santa wow. Club or whatever it was. I mean, yeah. it, was, it was like the, you know, the, the lowest budget one you could get. And they all loved it. Um, so it's interesting how that works. I mean, uh, you know, how, how do you get a value? How do you get a bargain and how do you get values? Um, it's different, though, when you're there in the, in the experience at, at the winery or in, the, you know, in, in a very nice restaurant in Napa Valley. Um, but... You know, we've been talking about wine. What about other experiences you've had? Um, you know, have you had, because uh, I know, like I said, yeah. I know you're a shopper. I know you're someone who's cost conscious and and is looking for values. Uh, what other kinds of experiences have you had in that regard? Yeah, so on the same theme of travel, um, I we were on our honeymoon trip and we were um, – in the in French Polynesia, that was my my dream excursion for my whole life, and um, we were fortunate to be able to save up to do that trip. And I said, well, while we're over here, I really want to get some fresh vanilla. It's it's local, and of course, I was selling it on it's local. If it's if it's like thirty dollars for ten beans on Amazon, it's going to be way cheaper buying it direct. <laughs> Which I I mean, you're looking at me like. Oh gosh, Taylor, <laughs> you know, you maybe knew better. Um, and I, and that was another one though, where it was also for me, like having that kind of culinary experience and having an understanding of where my food's coming from was 
priceless regardless. So I don't even know why someone would shop for vanilla beans in the first place. <laughs> I mean, I can see shopping for coffee beans. I love coffee and coffee yeah. beans fresh. But um, were you thinking you were going to grind the vanilla and turn it into a vanilla oil? What was your thinking on that? So vanilla, so they're basically vanilla bean pods because the bean itself is kind of like a paste. They're teeny tiny beans, um, but they grow in these beautiful giant pods. They're about yay big i'm holding up like seven inches i don't know and um they have these this gorgeous wonderful aroma they're great to cook with if you like baking um my signature dish which people always ask what's your signature dish and i i've kind of come to terms i think it's creme brulee but you need fresh vanilla to make creme brulee to make good creme brulee you want a good vanilla bean it's got to be um you don't want it to be overly hard you want it to be a, maybe the wider ones are going to have maybe a good. But are you actually bean using ratio. the vanilla bean in your crumble? I mean, are you? Yeah. How are you? How are you? I mean, again, I'm. <laughs> so you slice track, it but. down the middle, um, and that kind of allows it to open. And then on the flat end of your knife, you can scrape out the beans, and then you add the beans to your cream while you're simmering them. You can even add the pod, or you can save the pod and use it for like a vanilla sugar, which is great in your coffee. <laughs> Um, if you want to do some coffee stuff, I think I gave you vanilla sugar for. Yeah, I remember that. It was tasty, definitely. Uh, so, yeah. but you're saying that uh, you didn't get quite the same deal that you thought you might have. By yeah, it was it was about ten dollars a bean in person, <laughs> and I think it was because um, when we got there, they explained to us that Tahitian vanilla is actually a hybrid vanilla vanilla breed, which I didn't know this. I just knew it tasted good, and so Tahitian vanilla is a hybrid between the Madagascar and the Mexican. Um, it provides a great flavor and a, be- and a slightly better yield. But the challenge is since it's a hybrid plant, it doesn't have a natural instinct to pollinate it. Hmm. So each of the beans are hand pollinated. So in order, every morning, this girl that did our tour, literally she wakes up every morning because she works on this vanilla farm. And she will take this little toothpick and she will hand pollinate each and every flower. And if she doesn't pollinate it that day, then no vanilla bean is grown. Wow. And so it's, she has like a, I think she said so like a 12 hour window. So that's an expensive process. Obviously yeah, labor so intensive, it's, so it's going to be more expensive. So it's going to cost more. Yeah. And then there's a whole drying process as well. So I think having a better understanding of the process kind of made me realize, well, maybe, maybe it wasn't good for me to buy the cheap beans anyways. I should be paying these people what they're worth. Yeah. Well, if you value it, right? If you value yeah. the difference in beans or the taste of those beans versus, you know, uh, beans you can get somewhere else, and and but the other thing you're you're not acknowledging, and I don't know whether you did or not, but uh, I mean obviously there's a question of volume, right? You were buying ten beans. Yeah, I think I bought five. Five because <laughs> I could I couldn't afford to, to buy a lot of yeah, beans. So I mean you know people who are looking for deals, <laughs> yeah, obviously get more value if they're buying in large quantities, right? Yeah, exactly. So the economies of scale is a big a big concept. Certainly in economics, it's a big concept. And so, you know, if you're buying more, if you really are a, a vanilla bean fan, then you gotta, you gotta get after it and buy more. Yeah, so I, I agree. I think if I was buying in bulk or if I had the means to buy in bulk, um, I would likely have gotten a better deal. Um, another food example, because I don't know why, but I'm always trying to get a deal on food and I'm clearly often wrong <laughs> but i if anyone's ever been to a farmer's market i think it's kind of a feel-good experience where you're thinking okay i'm getting closer to my food and um maybe i'm knowing who's growing it and i don't feel like there's a bunch of pesticides because maybe i spoke with a farmer and they tell me about their growing processes or something like that <laughs> but maybe i'm like and i 
I pick specific things because I understand the cost. But if you've ever tried to buy like a head of lettuce at a farmer's market, you're maybe paying like $10 for something that at the grocery store you get for a dollar. Yeah, yeah. That's the thing is that, you know, you're talking about buying in much smaller quantities. And there's, you know, if they're not not able to lay out, you know, I don't know, a quarter ton of lettuce heads (laughs) for people to pick up. If, if 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 they've got five lettuce heads, and they've brought them there by hand to that booth. Uh, yeah. There's going to be more expenses. I I think that's oftentimes a misperception on people's part. Although I think you can find deals at farmers markets, but I think more often than not, you're paying for you're paying quite a bit more, and you're paying for all those things that you're that you might value. You know? Yeah, uh, you feel like it's maybe a healthier product, or or you want to support the local farmer, or whatever it might be. And if that's a value to you, then then more power to you. But whether you're you know really going to find a deal there more often than not, I mean that that's the thing is it goes back to that volume question. Yeah, what um, kind of volume can you purchase in, and what kind of volume can they produce in? Yeah. Um, and then I think it also comes down to well, what's is the quality worth what you're paying for? So to me, the quality of the head of lettuce maybe is not worth it, but maybe buying eggs and maybe it costs two dollars more than at the grocery store might be worth it. Yeah. So I think having that. Having a better understanding of what your trade-offs are. Yeah, you know, and that's a key concept of uh, in economics. I mean, we're talking about a couple of different ones, but one is just this whole idea of the what's called the asymmetry of values. You know, uh, people who are buyers and sellers have different values. You know, the person who's selling a number of heads of lettuce at the farmers market, you know, doesn't have that much. Uh, they, they want your money more than they want the lettuce, right? And you want the lettuce more than, and maybe you want the lettuce that they're selling because of their you know, their farm, the locality they're in, or the claims that they make about, you know, it being organic or pesticide-free or whatever, or the flavor that you, you know, whatever it is that you value, you have a higher value, you place a higher value on that than other people might. And that's the cool thing about having lots of choices is people get to make their own decisions. And sometimes people don't notice differences, right? I might yeah. not know. I wonder if I would, I, I like vanilla a lot, but I wonder if I would notice a difference. Would you think I would notice a difference between, you know, really high quality vanilla versus, uh, you know, so, I, I'm really, I'm, my, my taste in coffee is de- very much more discerning today. I mean, I, I'm yeah. very particular about the beans I grow or not grow. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going that far down the road, but uh, the beans I actually buy to grind. Yeah. Uh, and I used to think, you know. Coffee bean was a coffee yeah, bean. Yeah, or even a cup of coffee was a, co- a cup of coffee. I thought, you know, why would anyone go through the trouble of grinding their own beans? What a waste of time that is. Do you now, hand grind them, or what's? Do you have a process? No, no, I have. I definitely have an electric grinder, but I, but I have a whole process of making a French press cup of coffee that I really enjoy, and it's a ritual, and there's a whole experience in it. But I'm willing to pay up to buy, you know, better uh, beans for that experience. Whereas I used to be like, that's a cup of coffee. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's brown, dirty water, and you know, hopefully that gives me a little juice in the morning, right? But yeah, hopefully it wakes me up. Right. Yeah. So now you're you're more into this experience. I think if you tasted side by side three different types of vanilla beans, you might taste the difference. I don't think if you'd tasted three Tahitian vanilla beans, a grade A, a B, and a C, I don't think you would taste the difference. You might, but I think it'd be harder to tell the difference between the grade versus the location. So why do you think that was your experience with having, you know, having the same, if not higher costs buying directly from the producer? I think it's a lot of what you said about, well, how much was I buying? And then it might have also been because I, similar to like the farmer's market situation where 
okay, I was going to a small farm, a small location. They only had so many beans they could grow per year. And then I was buying the grade A beans. So I was buying their more expensive of the selection of their limited availability. Well, and that's, that's the cool thing about uh, people who are innovative in the process too. You know, farmers markets, the people who have come up with that whole idea have gotten more innovative about marketing to you and making that itself an experience, right? Um, just the yeah. way they're displaying their wares versus – uh, and, and that's that's something else that even grocery stores, chain grocery stores have gotten, you know, caught up to. I mean, they, they used to just lay things out and, and have a yeah. bunch of light on them. And now they change the lighting and they change the displays. And merchandising has happened in grocery stores. And they happen it happens in farmer's markets. And it's it, you're paying for that, that experience partly. But if you were getting the same product as you could have bought through a retailer, you know, you, you'd likely find yourself paying more because you couldn't buy them the quantities that you – that you can get um and it's you know it's partly just uh you know where you can find that quantity uh for whoever's giving you the value that you want right yeah exactly so i mean going forward i'm not gonna fly out there just to get vanilla or i I don't need to fly to napa to get a bottle of wine but i think if you're already doing a trip and you happen to have the opportunity like i'm sure if you weren't you were in costa rica did you buy coffee i did yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But did you go to Costa Rica to buy coffee? You know, that's a good question. I mean, you, you, I didn't go there for that purpose. Obviously, that'd be a pretty expensive coffee <laughs> Expensive <cup>. coffee stuff, <laughs> yeah. Um, but, but I knew I was going to uh, tour some coffee plantations. I knew yeah. I was going to learn more about coffee, um, and I knew I'd probably pick some up. And, and it was really good coffee. I mean, uh, and I, don't, I don't remember it being that much more expensive than what I could, could get in the U.S., um, so maybe in that case, it was less expensive going directly to that place. Um, but I do remember it being uh, good quality coffee and, and really enjoying the experience. Yeah. The reality is that you're talking about a lot of different factors here as far as you know getting a deal. There's a whole other term that economists use. It's called disintermediation. I don't know if you've heard that. Maybe you heard it in business school. But Sounds it's basically, familiar, it's but basically yeah. saying, I want to cut out the middleman, right? Yeah. You know, the intermediary, intermediary is the business, the middle person. You know, um, let's get rid of that middle person. And it's amazing how in a, in a modern division of labor economy, you know, there's so many middlemen. Yeah. There's so many people uh, who are between the ultimate you know, consumer of a product and and the the producer of that product, um, and that's partly the whole idea of distribution. You know, distribution is a big piece of our of our economy. You know, how we how we get things. You know, who do we get them from? Does yeah. that person who's buying a bunch of stuff and then they're selling up to to us more at a retail level? You know, how do they make money? Um, yeah, like the Costco's and Sam's Clubs. And that absolutely. Kind of stuff. In fact, there's there's whole there's whole industries that have sprouted up to do that. You know, buying clubs um, that. That say, okay, well, they're going to um, retail. <laughs> they're going to, you know, bring th- things to the retail level, but act like it's at a wholesale price. Um, yeah. So, what about other? What about other products? We've been talking about consumable things, but what about durable, more durable goods type of things? Yeah, I know you and I kind of talked a little bit about like purchasing like cars or houses, um, and I think that's one that it's almost it's. You could definitely cut out a middleman and maybe save some money, but you also want to be like, not necessarily buyer beware, but buyer be aware of like really what you're getting into. So if you're going to do that in, on the real estate side, make sure you know what you're signing and don't just cut out someone to cut the 
2% or 4%, make sure you're aware of, okay, can I handle this side of this deal? Yeah, or I think is that that's a really, a really good point because, and, and a lot of this has to do with information. You know, the the whole, in fact, there are economists even look look further back in history and say, really all it boils down to is information. People trying to you know get information. Um, but in the case you're talking about with the house, you know, there's lots of pieces to a house and there's lots of pieces to a housing contract. You know, yeah. and um, if you don't have experience with contracts or if you don't have or if you don't want to, you know, take that risk of looking over the contract, then you, you probably are better off having a realtor and probably even even then uh, maybe a, an attorney who has, you know, that kind of experience in contracting to and, and that can be a huge value. Right. That's going to yeah. maybe it's going to cost you thousands of dollars when you talk about percentage, you know, several percent on the price of a home. But. It's really there to protect you, but again, you know that it isn't you know rocket science. You know, yeah. people can read contracts and they can read about home inspections and deadlines and all that kind of thing. And so maybe they don't need a realtor. Yeah, one that might be a little easier to do a, a direct purchase is the car idea of things, though. So, say you have an old car sitting in your in your garage that you haven't been driving, and you have a neighbor who's got a kid that just turned sixteen, and they're saying, "We need a car, but we don't want to spend a ton." You got a car that you don't really want anymore. I mean, there's, you'll likely find that maybe you can sell your used car for, and granted, this is kind of an old example because right now we've got this weird market where there's kind of a shortage of cars. Um, but you would possibly still get a little bit more from your neighbor than you're probably going to get if you go to like a car dealership. They're going to want to get, they're going to want to give you a little bit less so they can still resell it at a profit. Whereas you'll maybe get a little bit higher from that from that neighbor or friend or well, and it goes person. it comes back to information too. Let's say it's a friend or neighbor who's you know they know you've got a kid who's wanting a car and they want to get rid of their car and yeah. you know they're driving you know they're 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 a good driver and they change the oil so that information is exchanged yeah. and go yeah we got a we, we got a good deal here and everyone wins um, versus you know you're buying a used car from someone across town you've never met before it was advertised on Ka- Craigslist and yeah. you see some pictures that don't match up to what you see when you get <laughs> you there hope it, you know, hope it works yeah so that that can be you know a big piece of it is actually you know how much information do you have and how much information are you willing to to learn about or digest uh, that's the shopping process how much are you willing to shop uh, to get a better deal yeah I think it's mostly just you want to make sure you're you're clear of what your intentions are. Like you said, would I have still gone to Napa if I didn't think I was going to get wine on sale? I was going to be on that trip regardless. My thought was just, well, I, I'm a budget savvy person. Is there a way I could make a deal out of this fun experience? Yeah, That's but already the primary motivation regardless. was going for vacation, and there is that van. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of like what you're saying about Dave. Just you know, normally, it's it's good that you've kind of. Maybe had an impact on him, and he's having an impact on you. But yeah. but uh, normally, when someone goes on a vacation, they have his attitude of just saying, "Let me just enjoy the experience." It might cost me yeah. cost me a few more bucks, but I'm just going to enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Versus being on a mission to find the to cheapest find bottle of wine, or you know, the <laughs> the best deal. You know, if you had done that, then you probably wouldn't have enjoyed enjoyed your vacation as much. Yeah. Well, and that does kind of remind me one of the friends that we went with, and I won't say any names or anything. I don't know if she's listening to this, but um, we kind of call her like a Facebook Marketplace queen. And I think that that is maybe one opportunity where you could maybe cut out a middleman and get a really good value out of something. You're saying the Facebook marketplace. Yeah. So like if you're looking to get a good and you're willing to get a a secondhand good. So 
Um, for instance, they got a pizza oven at a really good deal. or Off of Facebook. Off the marketplace. Mm-hmm. Off of you know, so marketplace. it's interesting. I've heard people say that before, and I've never used that. I've used Craigslist. Maybe that's the old yeah. guy's version of that. But this is what's so great about the internet is it, it, it and and all the applications we have. You know, the the it's it's providing information, and and that does make us more competitive. It makes us more. We've got more information, so we're we're smarter buyers, right? Yeah, we, we can, can shop around. And, yeah, we can compare yeah. and, and and easily find things. Um, and that's that's a great thing about having that kind of information at our fingertips. It doesn't it yeah. ne- doesn't necessarily mean we're better shoppers, but we can be. Um, yeah, if if we're willing to focus on that, and we certainly can find better deals. Yeah, and you can definitely compare. Okay, what's the cost for something new versus used, and really, what what am I getting there? So I I would actually say maybe that's a good tip for people who are listening to this and saying, well, I was just listening to this because I wanted a good deal. Facebook Marketplace could be a good a potential for a good deal. I'm not going to say it always is, but if you're looking and you're willing to kind of shop around, um, if you're looking for an item that might be more expensive than you would typically want to spend, but you really want that item, maybe check there. Well, and, uh, and one of the things that I would say, I mean, this is maybe intuitive, maybe not, but you have to really understand the value of your time. Um, you know, I know people who clip coupons and they, you know, they're yeah. saving 15 cents here and 15 cents there. <laughs> But they're spending a lot of time looking for those coupons and clipping them out and saving them up and organizing them, and then you know then they save a little bit. Of, but all the time that they spent could have been could have been spent using you know, enjoying life more or doing something they value more. If obviously if they really enjoy clipping coupons, and that can be a great thing. Now there, there's all kinds of tricks out there. You know, should you shop for flights on certain yeah. days of the week, right, or certain mm-hmm. seasons? You know, yeah. is it better to to travel to, in the off season or yeah that kind of stuff yeah and and again it depends on your values i think that's that, that's probably the biggest message we would have on on this episode is is be really conscious about your values what's important to you you know whether the quality is more important or whether the you know the getting the best price is more important I think those those are the things all all that we think you should be conscious of. Yeah. And I think definitely be open to, okay, am I doing this because it's something I was going to do anyways? It's it's part of an experience or is the only reason I'm doing this is to focus on a cost? Because if the only reason is to get the cost as low as possible, um, you want to do be be more smart than me in that aspect and actually say, okay, if the if the main reason and the main driver is the cost, then do a lot of research on how to get the best cost. If the main reason is the experience, then do your research on what kind of experience I can have. I think that's good advice. Well, I want to thank everyone for listening to our podcast. We invite you to follow, like, friend us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, share our social media uh outlets and uh, share the podcast Uh, let us know what you think please give us feedback Um, all these platforms are saved as altius financial as one word it's typed as one word and you should see our logo on the profile picture for both instagram and facebook we want to invite you also to tune in on tuesdays as we post the finance terminology tuesdays with a new topic each week and if you're interested in finding out more about how we think or you're wanting to set up a financial plan or investment program if you have any questions at all comments, thoughts, please reach out to us. My 
name again is Michael Williams, and my email address is michael at altiusfinancial.com, and Taylor's is taylor at altiusfinancial.com. And we appreciate you uh, tuning in, and thanks for joining us. Have a happy Friday, and have a great weekend. Thank you. Have a great weekend. 